Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Why did the people go to see Jesus? That's a great question. If Jesus were speaking today, why would people go to see Jesus? Well, I think the first reason, and uh, Glenny already called me out on this once, but free food. He made tuna fish sandwiches for 20,000 people. I would go for the free food. Some people went for the great stories, the parables, the mysteries that he revealed about heaven and the kingdom of God. Some people went because it brought out their inner rebel. It was a, a certain finger flung at the Roman Empire who had taken over Israel and they wanted God to come back and reestablish his kingdom. And by going out to see Jesus, they were going to the Roman Empire. Some people came for the miracles, the magic. I got to tell you, I love Penn and Teller, and Vicki and I are going to go see them in December, and I'm excited, and I know that it's sleight of hand and machinery, but I still like to see the magic. Some people went for the magic, and some people went for the hope, the hope that uh, Jesus would be that son of David, that military hero that would move the Romans out and reestablish God's kingdom. And some people went because they wanted to know about eternal life. So then we have this interesting situation. I, I, I don't know if you noticed, but Jesus is moving on to the next place. He has done his teaching. The sermon is over. And then this rich young ruler runs up, kneels down in front of him and says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Now, I don't know about you, but when my sermon's over, I'm headed to go watch the Eagles. I didn't say I was going to watch them win. I didn't say I was going to watch them lose, but I'm going to go watch the Eagles. And, and we all have something to do after church. And right in the middle of going to do that something, this guy comes up, and you're sort of hard to miss a kneeling person shouting out, good teacher. Now, what did the first century people believe would get them into heaven? And this, this is the crux of the text for the first century listener, and then we're going to apply it to what we hear. But in the book of Deuteronomy, it's made very clear that if you follow God's laws, God will bless you. And if you don't follow God's laws, God will not bless you. Now, we know, because it says it later in the Minor Prophets, that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Just because you got money in your pocket doesn't mean you're a good person. And just because you're poor doesn't mean you're not a good person. But in first century Israel, they believed money meant good, poor meant bad. So... This rich young ruler comes up, throws himself at the feet of Jesus, and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, he was really sort of saying, I'm already blessed. Can you confirm for me that I have eternal life? In fact, the Greek word for inherit is kleronomo. That's a word you use every day. If you're writing it down, it's K-L-E-R-O-N-O-M-O. 
Claranomo. And it's actually, for the lawyer in the room, a legal word that you're entitled to it. So when you inherit something, you're entitled to your inheritance. But it's not just an inheritance. It means to receive your allotted portion. The best biblical example I have of that is Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land. It did not yet belong to them, but God had promised it to them. So the rich young ruler says, okay, I'm already blessed. That means I'm doing a good job. Jesus gives him a short quiz on the commandments. He says, I'm keeping them all, which we all know is a bold-faced lie, but we'll keep that to ourselves. Nobody keeps all the commandments. And all the people are looking, and they are on the edge of their seats. Why? Because if there's anybody in this audience that should be guaranteed a place in heaven, this guy is the poster child for eternal life. He's got the blessings. He's doing the commandments. He's respectful to Jesus, kneeling and calling him good. And yet, there's an emptiness that takes place in the rich young ruler. If he was following the rules of the day, he already knew that he had eternal life. So the real question here is not, how do I get it? The question is, what can God do for me? I already have everything I need worldly-wise, but there's still something I'm missing heavenly-wise. Now, let's be honest, not much has changed in 2,000 years. We look around ourselves and we look for the blessed people, don't we? We can say we don't, but we notice. We notice which car comes to church, which wristwatch they have on, the quality and the make of the clothes. We notice when uh, the kids grow up, what careers they have, what colleges they went to, what schools. And in general, we we look for the stuff. Who's got the newest 72-inch Amazon Fire TV that you can talk to and it changes the channels? We don't have that at our house, but I think it would be fun. But we're always looking for who has the stuff, and we're rarely looking for who has the spirit. In fact, I I might call this message the spirit or the stuff, but we'll, we'll get back to that in a little bit. And when we're not blessed, we get annoyed with God. Well, I go to church every Sunday and Bible study on Thursdays and I put my tithe in the plate and I pray regularly and I read the Bible regularly. Why aren't I being blessed? And why is that person being blessed? Because I know what they do when nobody's looking. We wonder, why not me? And we complain. What's he got? What's he doing that I'm not doing? And we forget, and I want you to hear this, A blessed life on earth does not guarantee eternal life. Let me say that again, like I tell my students, slower and in English. (laughs) A blessed life on earth does not guarantee eternal life. Now, there's something hidden in here, and it, it jumped out at me. One of the commentators pointed out, that when it says Jesus loved the rich young ruler, that it is a variation of the word agape. So, of course, I got out my Greek and I looked it up, and he was right. 
And it, it could be interpreted that he caressed. And I want you to hear this. The rich young ruler has this dialogue with Jesus. And then perhaps, we're going to use the word perhaps, Jesus reached out and put a comforting arm on hand on the arm of the rich young ruler and looked him in the eye and said, all this is right, but one thing you lack. Why? Because he loved them and he wanted to get his attention. Jesus is reaching his hand out to each one of us to get our attention. He's saying, you're looking at the wrong things. Look at the right thing. So, the rich young ruler, his countenance drops because Jesus says, Sell all you have and give to the poor is what our translation says. We're going to talk about that in a second. But his countenance drops and he walks away. That's not the end of the sermon. Now, a lot of folks stop right there and they'll preach a sermon on money. And the evils of it, it's not about money. It's not about being puffed up with pride. It's not about following the word of God. The question that we have to answer today is, how do I get eternal life? So Jesus is standing there. Remember, he had already preached a sermon on blessed are the children and on divorce. And some people think this was at the end of the, the um, Sermon on the Mount. The sermon doesn't stop when the rich young ruler leaves. So what does it say? It says, now in some Bibles, it says the people were awestruck. I like that. They were like, hold it. This little dialogue has just shattered my entire theological worldview. And I don't know what to do. Their core beliefs were rattled. And they were saying to themselves, although nobody said it out loud, if he can't get eternal life, how will I ever get eternal life? Jesus has two answers. And I want you to know that when I first discovered this in studying the scripture, I was so nervous that I was being a heretic, I called at the seminary my Old Testament professor, Dr. McDaniel. And I said, Dr. McDaniel, I need your help. And he was a, a kind, gentle professor. He, he just passed last year. And I, I told him, well, I, I told him this. I was looking at my Greek New Testament, and it said camel. But I remembered that Jesus did not preach this sermon in Greek. He preached it in Aramaic. Now, I know that all of you have on your bookshelf an Aramaic dictionary, right next to your Hebrew dictionary, but let me help you out here. In Aramaic, the word for camel is G-A-M-A-L. And the word for rope is G-A-M-A-L. They're the same word. Why? Because rope was made out of the coarse, thick camel hair. So what if Jesus said, and I want you to see, I, I stole a knitting needle out of Vicky's sewing kit. What if Jesus said it would be harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for rope to go through the eye of a needle. Now, you know me, I love a good object lesson. Oh my goodness, is that not the perfect object lesson? And we would say it is impossible. 
You cannot put a rope through the eye of the needle. So what does Jesus say in verse 27? But with men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So first, Jesus gives them, and you can argue with me about the translation. It's okay. A camel works just the same way. But you know what? I can't hold a camel in my hand as an object lesson. In fact, I've only ever seen camels twice. One was at the zoo when my kids rode on it. And the other one was at Sight and Sound for the Christmas program. And it was standing in the aisle right next to me. And it did its business. Right next to me. Those are the only two times I've been near a camel. But you know what? I have rope in my life quite often. So Jesus gave them an object lesson. And then he gave them truth in one sentence. With God, nothing is impossible. The true story, when I was teaching at Camden County College, uh, I taught the 5.30 to 8 o'clock class, and then I taught the 8.20 to 10 o'clock class. Why? Because if I'm going to write all those notes on the board, might as well teach it twice, because that's a lot of writing. This was before smart boards and all that stuff. Right across the hall was Dr. Ralph, who's a Methodist pastor and taught philosophy. And some of the kids, we switched. So they would take basic psychology at 5.30 and then take philosophy at 8 and vice versa. So one day, the kids are rolling in and the kid goes, Dr. Madison, can God make a rock so heavy he can't move it? Now, I did not know that Dr. Ralph had assigned this question to his students. I just thought they were bringing up, I mean, that's a classic philosophy question. So I thought and I said, well, I'll tell you my answer. And this is my answer. God does nothing without a purpose. So if God needed to have a rock so heavy he couldn't lift it, then he would have a purpose for doing that. Well, all the little philosophy kids went across the hall next week, and when they took their quiz, they all got it right, and then Dr. Ralph came to visit me between the classes. But I want you to hear this. God does nothing without a purpose. So Jesus brings us, his listeners, and his first century listeners, to this conclusion. In verse 26, it says, And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? This passage is not about obedience. It's not about money. It's not about what we can do to get to heaven. The question that Jesus answered in this pericope is, Who then can be saved? So you've heard me say this once. You've heard me say it many times. You cannot earn, learn, try, or buy your way into heaven. With man, it is impossible. The real question here is, in whom or what are you placing your trust? The rich young ruler was placing his trust in his behavior and in his blessings. That would be another good name for the sermon. Behavior and blessings. We're not going there yet either. But that's... The issue that Jesus is addressing. We cannot do it. It is impossible. 
So let's just do a, a quick survey of a couple verses in the Gospel of John. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. We did not give, God gave. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. We cannot cleanse ourselves, only God can cleanse and forgive our sins. And John 1, 12, to as many as received him, meaning that God was available and we had to accept the gift that he gave to as many as received. To them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believed on his name. So I've mentioned this briefly, but let me really hit it here. There's an elephant in the text. Money is the elephant in the text. And I would be the first one to tell you that the Bible says very clearly, clearly money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. This sermon is not about the money. God's blessing, I want you to hear this, is not to be hoarded. Hence the parable of the rich fool. Remember, he had so much grain that he said, I'm going to build new barns. He's going to hoard the blessing of God. The blessing of God should never be hoarded. It should be shared. I was reading a book this week called Power Moves by Adam West, and he said there are two kinds of people. There are givers and there are takers. Or you could say there are hoarders and there are helpers. You could say there are accumulators. I don't know if that's a real word, but there are accumulators and altruists. Or hear this. There are monument builders or missionaries. God doesn't ask us to build a great edifice. He asks us to share the gospel with those around us by sharing his blessing. There's a psychologist named Alport, A-L-P-O-R-T, and he said that every human being at the center of their being has what he called a cardinal belief. And we have to stop and ask ourselves, what is the belief that permeates, influences my entire life? Am I a giver? Am I a lover? Am I a helper? We all have a cardinal belief. And then the cardinal belief influences our central beliefs and then our, our secondary beliefs. Jesus says, your cardinal belief has to be me. And then out of that cardinal belief comes all of those other things. The word give, and I'm sorry, this is the third Greek word, and if my children were here, they would tell you that I have a limit of two Greek words in a sermon, but I really need to get the third one in here. Uh, the word forgive is dos, D-O-S, that's the Greek word. And Wiki and I had a discussion about this Thursday because it's in the aorist imperative active tense. I'll say that again for those of you taking notes, aorist imperative, active tense. Now let's do the easy ones. Imper imperative is a command. Sell all you have and give to the poor. That's a commandment. 
We have to have a heart for the poor. Now, active is easy. Active means it's going and it's ongoing, like breathing. Last, week, last year, I was in charge of breathing breaks for the little kids at the school, and I would get them outside and say, take off your mask and breathe once. And they would all laugh. Why? Because we, we need to continue to breathe. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, sell all you have and be a giver, a continuous giving. He didn't tell the rich young ruler to sell all he had and destitute himself. He told him to sell all he had and adopt a spirit of giving. Share the blessings. The uh, aorist is the most difficult part, and this is the one Wiki and I talked about. And the reason we did is that Greek and French have the most common verb tenses. An aorist tense implies that this action can only happen after that action. Right? Think about it. If you're going to brush your teeth, I don't know if you put the toothpaste on first or turn on the water, but somewhere along the line, the toothbrush needs to go under the water. And it doesn't do you any good unless it has toothpaste on it, right? So the aorist tense would be put on the toothpaste and then put it under the water. Of course, then you're going to brush your teeth. But to get ready for it, those are the two things. They go together. Sell all you have. And give to the poor. Now remember, I said it's not about the money. Because there are many things that can get in the way of our relationship with Christ. And I'm not going to preach on a list of things that get in the way of our relationship with Christ. Because you already know the list. You know exactly what it is in your life that interferes with your being the giving person God wants you to be. In fact, you also know the things that God wants you to give. Not all of us have big bank accounts, but some of us are good bakers, and some of us are good sowers, and some of us are good at planting and chopping the bushes outside. You don't want me any near your bushes with the clippers. I will kill all the bushes and not even on purpose. Everybody in the room has something that needs to be given. And are you keeping it to yourself? Or are you being a giving person? If you have never accepted the impossible gift of Jesus' death and resurrection for you, then make today the day. That's the first step. That's, we're back to that aorist tense. That's the first step. You won't understand any of the other stuff until you have Jesus in your heart. And if that's a decision you'd like to make today, we're going to leave the front pews open during the last hymn. And please... Come up and pray with one of our deacons or pastors and make that life-changing decision. If you need to readjust your cardinal trait, if you, you are hoarding things that God wants you to share, I want you to ask God to open your hands, open your heart, make you that giving person. Do a self-examination. Say, Lord, you have blessed me. Help me to see your blessings and which blessings you would have me share. If you're not sure what that looks like, look at your checkbook or your day timer. And I know day timer is an old-fashioned term, but you know what I mean. Where you spend your time and your money is usually what's most important to you. 
if God convicts you after you've prayed and you've done that self-examination and looked at your checkbook and your day timer, then you need to clean house. The psalmist says, I come to God with clean hands. You have to put the sin down so that you can receive the blessing of God. And the last thing is this. Place your trust in the creator of the universe for both your earthly and your heavenly future. Because with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen.